First Samuel chapter 23. Sorry. First Samuel 23. This summer... Um, between Isaiah, you guys might not know this, but I've been preaching a three-part series on encouragement and the need for biblical community in the life of the church. The first was from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The second was... Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the third this morning is from 1 Samuel chapter 23. And this time we will look at an an example of, of what that looks like in the life of Jonathan and David. Now, in 1 Samuel 23 to around 26, David is fleeing for his life. And he takes his family to the king of Moab. And you say, why would he do that? Because the king of Moab was family to him. If you remember, Ruth was David's great-grandmother, and she was a Moabite. So the times are so difficult for him that he takes his family there. Now, the prophet Gad comes to him and says, David, return to Judah. Come back to your homeland. So he went to the forest of Hereth to hide. And while he was there, a tidal wave of news hits him. The high priest's son, Abiathar, comes to him and says, Saul has killed all the priests at Nob. And it's the news of the day. It would be like, hearing that Donald Trump had killed all the Baptist pastors in Georgia. It's huge news. How could this happen? And everybody in the country is full of fear that he is going to kill us next if we help David. So in the midst of this, David's alone. He's isolated. He's full of fear. And his brother Jonathan comes to him And he strengthens his hand. That means he strengthens his faith. Not by telling him how great he is. Man, if you can kill Goliath, you can do anything. No, by telling him the promises of God. So let me just read 1 Samuel 23. And I'll just read from verse 15 to verse 18. And then as we preach, we'll go through essentially the rest of the chapter. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. 
David remained at Harish, and Jonathan went home. Let's pray for our time. Heavenly Father, we just lift up praise to you, and we recognize in humility that if a man that had been anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit like David, if he needed another brother to come beside him in a difficult time to speak truth to him and to remind him of the promises of God, so do we. Lord, and I pray that as we examine this text, so we would also examine our own lives. God, that we would not be a church that's full of individual family units or individuals doing our own thing in the world. We would not be a church full of lone sheep and our own pastors that just come together for 30 minutes on Sunday. But God, we would believe in the communion of the saints, like we've just said, the body of Christ, and we would live like that. God, and as we come together, that you would give us spiritual nourishment one believer, one sister to another, one brother to another, strengthening us in the faith and having our faith built not on just trite words, but on the very promises of God. Lord, let your Holy Spirit work through your word now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. My friends, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you must be intentionally developing the kind of relationships where people know you and you know them and that you know what's happening in their life and you're able to take the promises of God and speak to them and vice versa, have them speak to you. Years ago, I met a man by the name of Henry Henry told me that he had been struggling with schizophrenia for years, close to 20 years. He told me that when he graduated from Auburn, he was working in the financial investing market and making huge money. And then suddenly he began to make terrible mistakes. He began to think, do things that were out of sorts for him. He began to take risks, do insane things. Finally, he found himself... Woke up, he said, and I was in South America going down the coast in a speedboat, and I had no recollection how I got there. He said, soon after, I was diagnosed with a lot of things, and one of them was schizophrenia. He looked at me and said, Rusty, I would have committed suicide many times if it was not for my relationship with Peter. Peter was his pastor when he was at Auburn 20 years previous. And after that, he said, Peter would contact me in my times of struggle about every other week and just speak words of truth to me. And he said, again and again, I would be struggling. I would be struggling with suicidal thoughts and tendencies. And God would bring Peter, who knew me and knew me well, and he would speak. In other words, he would take my hand, my weak, trembling, feeble hand and put it into the promises of God. In 1 Samuel 23, David is also in need of being strengthened. The king is viciously seeking to kill him. In fact, the Bible says he's seeking his life every day. Every day. 
The whole country is afraid of Saul. So they don't want to help David. There's spies everywhere in the land looking for him. And David has fled into a wilderness with 600 men that the Bible describes, listen to this, as in distress, in doubt, and bitter in soul. Not exactly men that you want on your team. Not exactly the Navy SEALs. He's in a very treacherous place. And then in the midst of that comes Jonathan, the son of the king, God's, David's covenant friend. He rose up and he went to David, and the Bible says he strengthened his hand in God. In other words, he takes David's fearful hand and places it firmly in the promises of God. He speaks to him everything that's true that God has told him. And this is how David perseveres. He, he is repeatedly strengthened by the people of God. God used Samuel, Jonathan, Ahimelech, Abiathar, and Gad to strengthen David's hand in hard times. Now, it's completely true that God promises to keep us in His hands. Yes, John 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's true we believe in the perseverance of the saints, that when you're born again, you will persevere to the end because God has sealed you with His Holy Spirit. But it's also true that we're called to persevere. Matthew 24, 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So those born of God are eternally secure in His power, and yet on the other hand, we are called to persevere in the faith through the means of grace that He gives us. Okay, so then we need to ask this question. What are the means that God gives us to persevere in the faith? And there's lots of them, right? There's the preaching of the Word. There's the Lord's Supper. There's fellowship with the believers. There's prayer. There's reading the Word. And this is what we see here. Jonathan, in fellowship, coming along beside David, strengthening him in his trials. Now, my friends, sometimes you and I, we see and we know fellow believers that are struggling, don't we? Struggling deeply, hurting in their faith, struggling with depression, struggling with loss, struggling with questions of why am I not married or why did I marry this person? They need encouragement. They need exhorting. And sometimes we don't do anything. And we have to ask here in those times, why is that? Several reasons, maybe. Sometimes we just prefer to avoid any kind of hard thing or sacrifice. And we know that saying hard things and being truthful to someone can be confrontation. And we don't want that. Or perhaps we just love our friendship with this person so much that we're fearful of jeopardizing it. So we don't encourage them. Or maybe we just don't believe that God could use someone like me someone that doesn't have the Bible memorized and has only been a Christian for such and such amount of time. Listen, the truth is, 
if David anointed with the Holy Spirit to be the king, a man after God's own heart, a hero in the nation that they sing songs about, if he needs fellow believers to come along beside him to strengthen him, to speak truth to him, then we do as well. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, how you know the Word, how Spirit-filled you are. We are needy people. And what we need is deep, intimate friendships in community where people can speak the promises of God to us. And on the flip side, we need bravery. We need strength. That when the Holy Spirit guides and leads us in those friendships, to be able to take the promises of God and speak them like Jonathan does here. So here's the main idea today is we all need our hands strengthened by others in Christ. There's two things that we want to see about that. First is human treachery. Human treachery. If you'll look at your Bibles at verses 5 to 7. Verses 5 to 7. 1 Samuel 23. And David and his men went to Kilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Kilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David, to Kilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Kilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates. And bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kilah surrender me into his hands? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O oh Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. And David said, Will the men of Kilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Kilah was an armed city. They called it the citadel, which is really what its name meant. It was close to the Philistines, and so it came under attack. They would come down to rob the grain harvest. Everybody loves free food, right? (laughs) King Saul, who would generally protect it, was too busy chasing David around the country every day. And so God tells David, go with his 600 bandits to Kilah. Now Saul hears that he's here. He's in the citadel. He's in the force or the, the, the fortress. So he gathers a large army and he heads there to kill David. David then turns to the high priest, Abiathar, and he says to him two questions. Will Saul come down? Is he coming? Yes. Will the men of Kilah, even though I've delivered them, will they surrender me? Yes. Now, the text says in verse 13, David and his men who were 600 arose and departed, and they went wherever they could go. And so he saved the city, and yet the city would betray him. And he flees, and he has nowhere to go. He has no home. 
So now he goes from Kila, who would betray him, to the Ziphites, who do betray him, verse 19 and 20. Look there in your Bibles with me. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding amongst us in the strongholds at Horish, on the hills of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desires, to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hands. David flees into the wilderness of Ziph, which is in Judah. This is his home tribe. The people who live there are his people. And when they find out that David's come, they go straight to King Saul and surrender him. And they say, David's in the wilderness. Come. What does King Saul do? He knows it's a massive wilderness. He sends them back as spies. He says, no, you go and you watch for him. You gather more information. So you have spies all through the wilderness. There they are traveling with their animals. And it's easy to pinpoint 600 men. (laughs) He's in a dangerous situation. His own tribe now has betrayed him. There's nowhere that he can go that they don't know about. And notice verses 25 to 28. Saul now is closing in on David. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. So David learned that Saul was coming. He marched further south, and he goes to an area called the Rock. And it's beginning to look like the Rock would be the grave for him. It, and it's a, it's a real nail-biter. As David is on one side of the Rock with his 600 men, here comes Saul and his trained army towards him. And at the very last minute, he gets a, a rider A messenger comes to him and says, the Philistines are attacking, come quickly. And David is saved. The Philistines are his unexpected savior. It reminds me of a story that I read years ago from a missionary couple named Henry and Marion Williams in the Bay of Islands. It was the 1800s and they were British missionaries. And they left to go to the Bay of Islands in the South Pacific to live in a small hut to evangelize the natives that were there. And one day when they were there, they see something very unexpected. They see a boat. In fact, it's the Wellington. And it pulls into harbor, but it's not full of uniformed soldiers. In fact, the decks are crowded with people. And suddenly they see the lifeboats coming down, coming down and rowing towards shore. 
Henry Williams leaves his young family and he goes to find out what's happening. And he realizes that the Wellington has been taken over by 66 convicts which were on their way to the Norfolk Islands. And now they are looking for somewhere to hide and somewhere to call home. And there's Marion Williams with her children and nothing separating her from 66 ruthless convicts. This is what she writes. We felt a great dismay at having a nest of pirates so near to us. I think I would have wrote something like this. Ah! My friends, what do you do during those times when it's so easy to be discouraged, fearful, anxious, maybe angry at why God would allow 66 pirates to come to your beach when you're just trying to serve Him? What do you do when you're betrayed by your tribe, by your people, by your friends, by your family? Yes, you pray. Yes, you meditate on the Word of God. But in David's trials, God repeatedly strengthens him through the people of God. God used Samuel, Jonathan, Ahimelech, Abiathar, and Gad all to come along beside the king and strengthen him. Listen, my friends, one of God's graces to us is the body. It's friendship in Christ. Friendship built on Hebrews 3.13. Exhort one another every day as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Often we think that change and spiritual growth is very individualistic. So we think if I just read my Bible, do my quiet time, have my morning prayer, have my morning devotional, come to church for 30 minutes a week, then I'll grow spiritually. Perhaps, yes, those are means of grace, but you're leaving something on the table. Maybe you think, besides, it's just too complicated. It takes too much time to be deeply involved with people. Listen, the main reason living in Christian community is so important is that God Himself lives in Christian community. Lives in community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're not individualistic. They live together in Trinitarian harmony for all eternity. And He has made you like that. You are built for relationship and community. And in His grace, He didn't just call you and set you in a pasture and just give you a Bible and give you the Holy Spirit, which are good things. He set you in a church. He set you in a flock of people. Because that's how He built you. I want to encourage you to live in community, in intimate community. And that means you're going to have to say no to some things. Say no to whatever you need to say no to so you can say yes to living in Christian community. What does that look like? Well, maybe, my friends, you need to say no to going to the beach every weekend or going to a game every weekend 
or going to travel softball every weekend, which are not bad things in themselves, so that you can be involved in a community of believers in a deep way. What I'm saying is, living in community as part of the church, part of the flock, is God's grace to you. And it takes effort and it takes sacrifice. You have to be willing to say no to everything the world tells you that you have to say yes to. Or your children have to be doing or they'll be a mile behind. So you can be planted in with deep roots with God's people and grow and be spiritually nourished. Here's point two. Let's move from human treachery to divine faithfulness, verses 14 to 18 in your Bibles with me. I'll read that. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hands. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. Did you catch those words? Saul sought him every day. The reason the Philistines were attacking Kilah, the city, is because every day Saul was out there looking for David. But God kept and protected David. And in the midst of Saul coming out looking for David, Jonathan sees his predicament. Jonathan rises up with a very different purpose than his father And he goes to his friend, his friend that he's made a covenant with. And verse 16 says, he strengthened his hand in God. Notice, Jonathan was intentional. He went to see David with a purpose. He didn't just come to cheer him up. He didn't just come to say, oh, she'll be right. You'll be fine. He strengthened him intentionally which means he took David's tired, worn-out hands, faith, and he placed it in the mighty hands of God's promise. Notice it, verse 17 in your Bibles. He says, don't fear. (laughs) Everybody's after me. (laughs) I've been betrayed by my own people. There's spies everywhere. Don't fear. Remember, The king with his professional army a few miles away. Jonathan said, don't be afraid. Why? Two things. Look in your Bibles. First, the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. He brings him back to truth. God's hand is greater than Saul's army. Therefore, if he is just on the other side of this hill right there, he still will not find you. Second, you'll be king. 
You see, God had made a promise to David that he would be king. And that promise would not be fulfilled if he was killed here. And so he's bringing him back to the promise. God said, you will be king. Now listen, he strengthened him in God by not telling him how great he was. Saying, if you kill Goliath, man, you can do anything. He strengthened him by telling him what's true in God's word about him. I want to tell you a story about a marriage. A man named Steve and a woman named Beverly. Steve had been asking his wife. He had one meal that he really loved. And he'd been asking Beverly and his wife, would you make this for me? And it took such a long time that she kept putting it off. Finally, for his birthday, she said, you know, let's send the kids away. Your birthday's on Thursday. And let's send the kids away and I'll make your meal for you, and we'll have a wonderful night. He said, that's great. So Beverly went to work, and it was a difficult meal. The appetizers were handmade salmon stuffed ravioli served in a butter sauce. Then she made the beetroot cabbage and goat cheese salad. And the main was a roasted leg of lamb that she ordered from her butcher and she cooked with seasonal vegetables. Now, she was almost finished when the phone rang. It's Steve, and he said something like this. Hey, babe, how's it going? It's Steve. Listen, the boss wants us to stay tonight and work on a few things. We've got a big sales meeting coming up on Friday, so I'll be about two hours late. Don't worry about cooking dinner for me tonight. I'll just pick something up. Beverly says, hey, did you forget what tonight is? He says, no, it's Wednesday night, right? Beverly said, yeah, you remember it's the night that we planned. I was going to cook your favorite meal for your birthday, and we're sending my kids, the kids away to the parents. Steve says, ah, I'm sorry. Can we just do that another time? Beverly says, Yes, you are sorry. You're the sorriest husband in the whole world. You've done this a hundred times. And she hangs up the phone. What do you do when that's you? And it probably has been you. When you're angry, when you feel betrayed, when you feel discouraged, When you feel disappointed, and let's close with four things. First, you need your hands, your faith, your heart strengthened in God. We all do. David was a man of God, a national hero. He led 600 rebels. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was going to be the next king, and yet he needed to be strengthened by another believer. And if David, how much more us? There is no Christian who has been walking with God so long, so well, that they don't need other believers involved in their life. And if you feel like that you don't, that you always find excuses not to have other believers in your world, then you are probably the most in need to be strengthened. 
Because sin has already begun its work of deceiving you and convincing you that you are greater, stronger, spiritually than you actually are. Second, you can be a Jonathan to someone else. There is little doubt David was the mightier of men here. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. Yet it was Jonathan who had to come along beside David here. Don't ever think that someone is so far above you spiritually that you have no way or nothing to encourage them or minister to them with. The greatest reason we don't seek this kind of Christian relationship built on encouraging God in God is we think we are not good enough that we have nothing to offer. I don't think I have nothing to give or anything to give you. And the truth is, you are called to strengthen others in God, not in Sam's wisdom, not in John's power, not in Susan's good listening ability or Harriet's great intelligence, but to simply point fellow believers to Jesus Christ and all the promises of the gospel to them. Third, it must be intentional. And Jonathan rose and went to David at Horish. Jonathan didn't wait for David to come to him. Please catch this. Jonathan didn't wait for an SOS signal from David. He didn't say, if he needs me, he'll send for me. He perceived that there was a need, and he went. My friends, friendship in Christ takes initiative. So often I hear, well, no one pursues me. No one calls me and asks me for coffee or tea. Jonathan rose and he went after David. I want to encourage you, pursue friendships and fellowships in Christ. And that means you've got to be intentional. Setting up times to meet with people. Seeking people out. Having them in your home. And I want to say lastly, asking people to disciple you. You know, we're starting Wednesday nights and we're starting Sunday mornings, and I really want to plug that right now. Wednesday night is all about discipleship. I want to encourage you, get involved there. Get someone under your hood, into your life. It is part of God's grace to you. Get a Jonathan who will strengthen your hand in the Lord on Wednesday night. Sunday morning is all about community. I want to encourage you, don't live as a lone sheep. Lone sheep get devoured by the wolves. Get involved in community through our Sunday school classes here. Last thing, we'll close with this. You will only strengthen others if Christ is strengthening you. When you become a Christian, Christ makes us new. But what is new in you is Jesus. He is alive in you. And my friends, we are like a cup. And the more that we spend time, we worship, we fellowship with Jesus, the more our cup is filled with his grace. And he gives you the ability and the power to minister to other people. So it's not what's true about me or you or some great gift. It's God's grace to you, which comes as you commit to worship and spend time with him. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, you've uprooted us from the world. You've put your Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us. That's what it means to be born again. And you've rooted us in the church, the body of Christ. Lord, help us to have our minds, our thinking transformed. Lord, we still need your grace. We still need to grow spiritually. And that comes through having men and women coming along beside us with the truth of God's promising promises, people who know us and can minister to us in our everyday life. Lord, let us honor you as a church and let us have the humility as believers to say yes to that and no to the challenges and the temptations of the world to just do my own thing and live my own way apart from the body. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.